0: i Roderick Chambers and this is Money Dearest. Money Dearest is a podcast series focusing on elder abuse. It's brought to you courtesy of the Sydney Community Foundation and the Perkins Family Foundation and produced in the studios of Radio 2 SERFM. Elder abuse can be financial, psychological, through neglect or physical or sexual abuse. Many people don't want to think about the ending of their lifespan, but it's one thing that we know will happen to us all at some point. What do you want the end of your life to be like? Is it worth thinking about the way you wish to live in the future? I'm sure you're thinking yes. Yes, I do want to have a say of how I live when I'm older and less capable to make decisions on my own. In this series, we look at ways in which your will and preference can be carried out beyond the point at which you have the capacity to fully control all the aspects of your life could be through some serious health event, stroke, neurological conditions, car accidents or through age-related gradual decline of mental acuity. In this podcast, we're going to discuss the differences between the power of attorney and guardianship documents. Everyone should have a will. Dying intestate causes people you care for and love a great deal of effort to sort out as law requires the same procedures for all, whether rich or poor. This sets out your wishes after you have left this mortal coil, but what happens if you're ill and incapacitated? Shouldn't you have something definite and written down about how you want to be treated? That's when two documents allow others, usually a relative, to make important, necessary decisions on your behalf. They are an enduring power of attorney and an enduring guardianship. They vary somewhat from state to state, but they are quite distinct and separate in the powers that they confer. The power of attorney essentially attends to matters legal and financial, and the guardianship looks after medical, health, and lifestyle issues. Today, we're going to take a look at how these important documents could help you. Tanya Katsanis is in the studio with three people who know exactly how the powers work and what happens when something is not quite right.
1: Joining me today is Carolyn Smith, Manager of the Supported Decision-Making Team at the New South Wales Public Guardian. Welcome, Carolyn. Thank you. Also joining me is Kay Papadopoulos, Senior Solicitor for the New South Wales Trustee and Guardian. Thank you. And Michael Perkins, Special Counsel for Nexus Law Group. It's great to have you, Michael. Thanks, Tanya. Now, look, I did want to start with you, if I could, Michael. Look, people often get confused between power of attorney and a guardian's role. So can you just briefly explain the difference between the two?
2: I think there are two main distinctions uh, in both roles. The power of attorney is dealing with basically legal, business and financial decisions. The power of enduring guardianship is really dealing with health, medical and lifestyle. A power of guardianship, however, is not a medical version of a power of attorney. It is a distinctly different document. So if you wanted to describe the attributes of an attorney in one word, you'd use probably the word agent.
1: And when we say attorney, we do mean power of attorney. We
2: mean power of attorney, not uh, not an Australian version of an American lawyer. <laughs> and when we're looking at guardianship, probably the single attribute you'd use to describe a guardian is a collaborator. So they are qualitatively different uh, roles and they need to be understood in their own terms.
1: So, Carolyn, it brings me to you and your role. Um, you manage a team of supported decision makers for the Office of the New South Wales Trustee and Public Guardian. So can you give us a bit of a background of what you do?
3: Sure. So the supported decision making work that we do at the Public Guardian relates to the philosophy of everyone should be given the right support the support that they need so that they can make their own decisions. So this sort of sits outside of powers of attorney uh, who make decisions for money or enduring guardians who make health or lifestyle decisions. It's outside of those formal legal appointments everyone should be given support. But if you are someone's power of attorney or if you are someone's enduring guardian, you should also be practising these principles of good support to build people's ability and capacity to make their own decisions as much as possible. So that
1: we're looking at supported decisions, but then it takes me over to a more formal approach, which is UK, Senior Solicitor at the New South Wales Trustee and Public Guardian. It's an important role that your office does play. So, it's with respects to someone's legal entitlements. So, can you explain
4: what the office and what your role does? Sure. So, we're often um, appointed to be somebody's financial manager. Um, it, it might be that they hadn't done a power of attorney, or perhaps their power of attorney has been removed from that role by a tribunal. So, we're put in place um, in place of the people who'd previously been nominated. So, we essentially stand in their shoes to make legal and financial decisions for them. So that could be anything from commencing legal proceedings to um, paying bills on their behalf to, you know, buying and and selling property that's in their name. Okay. Now we are talking about, um, you know, the safeguard of our elderly and our senior
1: citizens. So, Michael, you said uh, there is a lot of issues around power of attorney and setting up these documents and guardianships. It is like a last resort, if you like, to set up. And what do you need to consider?
2: I think fundamentally when someone says to me, have I chosen the right person as my attorney or guardian, my... uh,
1: Who's the right person?
2: Who is the right person uh, is the fundamental question. And I ask my clients these questions. Do you believe that the person you want to appoint shares your values? Do you believe that they've got the moral strength to act in your interest rather than theirs in all circumstances? And if you can uh, answer yes to both questions, you're probably on a pretty good track because when uh, these appointments fall apart, it's generally because there's a divergence of values between the donor, the person appointing the attorney or guardian, and the guardian or attorney themselves. That can be driven for an enormous range of reasons. Uh, It takes a great deal of moral strength to keep an attorney or guardian in place and the donor safe. A lot of families are up for it, but regrettably there are many, many families which are not.
1: It must be said that the power of attorney in terms of laws and regulations does vary from state to state and country to country.
2: Yes, but there are documents like powers of attorney and guardianship in pretty well every developed jurisdiction in the world. So uh, it's a solution and an approach that is common. The detail differs, but the principles are remarkably consistent around the world.
1: Kay, can I ask you with uh, if you have an example as well where a power of attorney comes into your
4: office or comes into play where you, your office needs to step in? So, so we'll be appointed by a tribunal... So it will be the fact that somebody hasn't done a power of attorney or the person that they've been, has been appointed as the attorney. So how does it root. get to a tribunal?: Ah, oh, so a common example is, for example, um, it might be that somebody's gone into a nursing home and they don't have capacity to make financial decisions for them. Nobody's paid the nursing home bond, et cetera, so somebody needs to be put in place to be able to navigate selling the home and then paying over the nursing home bond. Other examples might be and that, that goes right back to Michael's point about you know having somebody who's got your values and the, the moral fortitude, etc. Might be um, a dispute between siblings. So one might be thinking, oh, you know, my sibling's been helping themselves to the kitty a bit too much. Um, I don't think that's what Mum would want, etc. Goes before a tribunal. They're removed as the attorney, and then we're put in as financial manager.
1: When you talked about that and we're talking about the financial implications and power of attorney coming into play, let's talk about will and preference, Carolyn, because you bring that up all the time and that's where the guardian comes in and making sure that someone's um, will and preference in terms of how they want to live in their quality of life life, Mm. is ensured. Mm. How does that work in this scenario?
3: So at the moment the legislation that we work under in New South Wales is actually a best interest model. So we need to be making decisions that are in the person's best interest if they are appointed a financial manager through the trustee and guardian or if they're appointed a guardian to make health and lifestyle decisions by the public guardian. Now, the will and preference debate that we're all having at the moment stems from Australia signing and ratifying the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. And what that convention says is that we should be making sure that any decision-making that is occurring for someone should be driven by their will and preference. Now, the current systems that we have in place in sub- uh, that relate to substitute decision-making don't have will and preference as a paramount guideline in legislation. But that's a, but that's a tricky... See, to me, that's a tricky sort of uh, restriction to place
1: on someone because there is a fine line between what is right for somebody mm. and what their will and preference is, mm. and how do you deem that? And there are other there are other forces that come into play, like financial implications or the burden on a family and mm. the time mm. and ability for someone to mm. care. Mm. So how do we how do we marry that up? And I open this up to to the three of you because to me it's as much as it's a wonderful thing to say. My will and preference is that I want to live at home and until I
3: die. Mm. How, how? How? This is, is a cultural done, shift that's, a that's happening. It's a cultural shift in thinking about people don't get to a certain age or they don't have a diagnosis that then just makes them vulnerable, which then gives us the authority in lots of cases to, to, to say, well, this is what's best for them because I'm going to protect them. Because... Yes, we might need to protect people. I'm not saying that that's not the case and that's why our agencies exist and there should always be and probably will always be a last resort agency. But what we're trying to move towards is to say, well, a lot of people just need the right support at those times where things might be going wrong in their life and then their will and their preference can be exercised and their capacity and ability be built. They can do more of what they want to do. What did you want to
1: add to that, Michael? Obviously there's some thoughts that you wanted to share.
2: Yes, and... I think that what Carolyn is saying is absolutely right. But in the context of family, we, we, we are dealing with, in many cases, divided families with no common interest. That's the mischief that we have to watch out for. So when people say to me, Michael, you know, what's the main value you bring to uh, your clients in doing this work? It is uh, simply teaching families to row in the same boat. Because if you do that, then the will and preference uh, is activated and you've got people uh, and families operating as cohesive units. So I think we need, as a society, to start thinking first about social inclusion, cohesiveness and coherence in how we care for each other. We need more connected communities because if we have more connected communities, which includes families we will end up with less intergenerational disadvantage. Mm. So uh, it's a social challenge, but we've had social challenges. We've had seatbelts. We've had drink driving. We've had smoking. This is just the next social challenge in front of us as we all get ready for our 100-year life.
1: It must be said, though, people that have got children and are ageing would generally, out of familiar obligation, appoint their child or a family member who may not be the right choice. Mm-hmm. So how do we educate those people to actually make sound decisions that will benefit their well-being?
4: Sorry, do you mean the the donor or do you mean the person they're appointing? The donor. I think it comes down to the conversation with with the person they're making the power of attorney with. Um, so I've been in private practice for about 14, 15 years prior to joining trustee and guardian and um, when we'd have conversations with people about who they're going to appoint as their power of attorney we would have, you know, a complete fact finder of their financial situation and their family and, you know, grandkids, niece, nephew, what's important to you, all of that sort of thing. And then we'd have at least a one-hour discussion beforehand trying to find out a bit about really who's who in the zoo, where do they live, how do they get along, you know, is their daughter-in-law, son-in-law. Was it an alumni? easy discussion to have, Kate? Um I suppose...
1: It w- Trying to convince them to appoint someone else that may be better
4: what fitted you co- for a role okay. of
1: guardian or power of attorney. So I
4: feel that it comes down to the questions that you and the conversation that you have. So I would never outright say I don't think you should appoint them. You'd give a scenario and say, how do you think this would play out in that scenario? So, for example, say somebody said, well, I'm on my second spouse, and they and my eldest child from my previous marriage, absolutely do not get along etc then we'd have a think about well is it is it appropriate to appoint both of them at all no then we bring in somebody else who might be you know a bit of a, a circuit breaker or have values and be able to broker the family.
1: Michael how easy is it to challenge an appointment so if a family member's not happy with who's been appointed as a guardian or an attorney?
2: You have to remember that going before NCAT, which is the tribunal that supervises attorneys and guardians, as uh, is a tribunal that's going to need uh, reasonable evidence uh, before it's going to act. So it's not going to be trivial and, uh, and it's not going to be cheap and it's going to be painful for the people concerned. You really need to think twice about getting the appointment right in the first place and that's why as a normal act. You need to start thinking about the act of appointing an, a power of attorney or a power of guardianship as no less complex as actually creating a will. You've got to, in many cases, put as much effort into a power of attorney and guardianship as you would into your will making. And because, uh, quite frankly, and this is said with some, from someone who is looking after a 92-year-old mother and a 93-year-old uh, mother-in-law. Power of attorney and guardianship, if they are going to be long-lived, is going to have far more impact on them, themselves and their family than just the administration of a will. Mm. So the uh, whole idea of a power of attorney and guardianship as being some trivial little piece of paper that you fill out quickly and don't think about the consequences, that's what we have to stop people thinking about.
1: Well, let's talk about preparing these documents because it has to be considered a blank page, I suppose, or is there anything that has to be included that you must have in a power of attorney document and a guardian document?
2: there is a statutory form for each document that sets a that sets a, a baseline and you have to have the statutory minimum in there but the problem with that is that it sets the appointment in a in a very broad context and it doesn't give any particular guidance to the attorney or guardian about the donor's expectation of how should this role operate. So when we look at what we do with a power of attorney and guardianship, our documents actually have a substantial amount of administrative guidance in them, and then as necessary, depending on the circumstances of the client, that can be supplemented by advanced care directives and other forms of memorandum of wishes. So what we generally do when we're explaining this to clients is saying, look, in creating the power of attorney or power of guardianship, you're setting up power. That's like um, getting into a sailing boat and turning the engine on. What you've then got to think is, okay, what course do you want the boat to run and who's going to be in charge? So supporting the uh, decision maker, which I think then takes us back to the supported Mm. decision making points that Mm. Carolyn was making, supporting the decision maker is a job for the donor. And and I think that it needs to be looked at as being good professional practice. And we need to look at how do we advocate good practice at a professional level, not just at a client level.
1: Mm. And how soon should we enact that? Sorry, did you want to say something?
3: I was just going to say I agree with Michael in relation to the the support work there. It all comes back to knowing the person Mm -hmm. and that's the heart of all of this work around supported decision-making that lends itself to all the planning ahead documents. It's about the person at the centre, it's about their strengths their experience, their knowledge, their wants or their will and preference, that's what it all has to come back to. And it's not about mum or dad appointing number one son because that's how it's always been. It's more about appointing someone that's actually going to make decisions that you would have made for yourself if you could. And if that's not done, that's when your office steps in as the last of last resorts. The public guardian or the New South Wales trustee and guardian can be appointed as the absolute last resort if everything goes wrong and decisions need to be made and there is no one that can make that decision and the person has an incapacity that says they can't make that decision for themselves anymore or with support. Often it's because of family conflict that we get appointed because these conversations weren't had in a deep way Initially, so the people who are appointed maybe aren't making decisions that the person actually wants.
4: I should add, you can do a power of attorney appointing New South Wales trustee and guardian as yep. well yourself to make yep. legal and financial decisions for you.
2: And I think that's important to note that mm. the trustee and guardian's office acts as a trustee company generally in the world. So you can have the trustee and guardian's office as an executor, as an attorney, yes. uh, as a trustee, uh, depending on your depending on your circumstances and from my point of view as a private practitioner uh, if there is difficulty in the family I think it's a choice that needs to be considered as a matter of course why wouldn't I have a corporate or institutional trustee if I don't have full confidence in my family Mm -hmm. it's something which needs to be thought about more broadly because the financial consequences of getting this wrong for the person under care can be enormous
3: as well as their mental wellbeing and emotional. And damaging to family relationships.
2: That's right. So looking at just the financial cost mm-hmm. of a family dispute after death, we've had recent guidance from the uh, Supreme Court that uh, you won't get out of basic trip to the Supreme Court on a family provision claim for much less than twenty or $30,000 per side. Mm. So the, so uh, if, you gain, if you've got $50,000 of family wealth being blown up by a family dispute, well, hopefully people get the idea that it's better to invest the time and the effort to get it right in the first place.
1: So then can I just ask about duty of care and ensuring that someone is actually exercising their role and responsibility ethically and morally? Uh, on the New South Wales Trustee and Public Guardian website, there was a really good example where someone was made power of attorney they sold their father 's house um, to pay off their own mortgage, and it wasn 't found out until Dad passed away and then the kids were looking for their estate. What happens in that situation, Michael?
2: Good question <laughs> You have to look at where the money's gone you 've got to look at what who's responsible. And you've got to remember that irrespective of the rights or wrongs of a matter, if you can't get sufficient evidence, you may not actually be able to do anything. Money might just have gone.
1: So a step ahead of that before we get to the discovery, is there any way to police that someone is actually doing the right thing?
4: I mean, often it'll be that other family members notice that something's gone awry or some funds have you know, have not, you know, been deposited into somebody's bank account the way they should. I'm talking about with somebody's the power of attorney. Yep. It's different with our financial manager because trustee and guardian does have some oversight. But if for example I'm Michael's power of attorney and I, you know, sell his house and then pay off my own mortgage with those funds, it might be that his family then notices at that point. Um we've had cases where um, say financial advisors or accountants are a bit suspicious about something and they might raise something and then it can go through NCAT for that person then to be removed as financial manager. Michael?
2: Okay, something to you uh, note, and this comes back to difference in state law. If you're in um, Queensland, you've actually got uh, in Queensland an uh, Office of the Public Guardian or Public Advocate that has uh, investigation powers. Trusting and Guardian doesn't have investigation powers in uh, New South Wales yet. We do have an Age Discrimination Commissioner that's just been appointed.
3: Ageing Disability an Commissioner. An
2: yeah. Ageing and Disability Commissioner mm-hmm. who has been appointed and... Um, And you look at South Australia that has, uh, in the Department of Health, a whole unit on ageing well and implementing their supported decision-making legislation. So this is where New South Wales law is a bit behind the eight ball. Um, Without investigation powers, it is hard for uh, people to do things unless there's very clear evidence of criminality uh, which the law can attach consequences to. There is general... um, uh, supervisory power in NCAT and the Supreme Court. Uh, you've also got the Mental Health Tribunal. But it all takes time and money mm. and, uh, and emotional effort. And I... Uh, And for me, the most difficult cases are the people that fall between the the cracks, between mental health, disability and aged care, people that are simply socially isolated at home, not with much support being ripped off. They're the ones that are the most vulnerable. And as a society, we are least able to support those people. And
1: And money is a discouraging factor. People don't want to necessarily invest money into legal action. Uh, for fear of losing.
2: You're absolutely right. And that's where I think we have to be really, really clear that the best outcome is to build a better community in the first place. Mm. So this is a matter of social change. Mm. You know, I'm a lawyer in private practice. I like being paid uh, as well as the next man. But at the end of the day, if we don't make families more sustainable, uh, we're not going to create the kind of supportive world that's going to make our longevity a a pleasant place uh, to enjoy the balance of our lives.
1: Can can I just ask, we touched on power of attorney and duty of care. What about with a guardian? Enduring guardianship. Enduring guardianship if you're not. fulfilling that role and making sure that person has their needs met.
3: So if there is someone who's acting as an enduring guardian, they've been appointed either by NCAT or... They've been appointed by uh, in a private way. Um, there is We don't have any oversight at the public guardian. We can support private guardians in their role. So we have a, a private guardian support unit where people can contact us and say, am I doing my role correctly? Or Can people uh, ring you and say, oh, I think such and such." So yes, isn't anyone, doing their role? Uh, yes, people can ring us and we can give them advice and say, maybe you need to make an application to the New South Wales Civil and Administrative Tribunal, NCAT, um, because if that person's not exercising their role correctly, it sounds like it might need to be reviewed and maybe someone else needs to be appointed. So there is oversight in that sense. Okay, now we need to sum up what are the most important factors to consider when
1: planning for old age and the potential we suffer from our own capacity or diminished capacity. What are the key steps we should do, Michael?
2: Really think hard about am I choosing the right person in the first place? And if in doubt, consider someone like trustee and guardian's office as a first resort, as a, as as an option, and uh, make sure that you uh, make it very clear to your uh, attorneys and guardians your expectation of how uh, you want to be looked after. Because if people have got a problem in uh, giving clear guidance of that, that is only sowing the seeds for problems later.
1: Katie, do you want to add to that as well?
4: Well, for me, I've, I've done all the documents um, naturally and what I've done is I've thought about, well, what would I want to occur if something happened to be tomorrow? Then I've looked at the people that I've appointed. I've looked at what assets are in my own name, those that are joint. You know, can if a, if a bank account's joint, can it be then put into my husband's name solely? All of that sort of thing I've really thought about and I've actually outlaid that in my enduring power of attorney, gone through sale of particular assets what I don't want sold, you know, I've really thought about it um, because I don't want to leave a mess, you know, that I see and, and administer.
3: Carol, Have a conversation.
4: With
1: <laughs> Talk, family.
3: Yeah, have a conversation with the people that you love and that you care about. Do it outside of crisis, because when we get to the crisis point, it's just too late, and none of us make good decisions in times of crisis. We go back to just safety. So I say, do it outside of, of um, crisis uh, well in advance, preferably not around Christmas. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I wanted to
1: thank you all for coming in and to, uh, thank you all for coming in and sharing such valuable information, Caroline, Kay and Michael. Thank you. Thank you, Tanya. Thank you. If you or a family member is interested in learning more about the roles of Power of Attorney and Guardian, please contact either a lawyer or the relevant government body in your state or territory. Today's podcast on Power of Attorney versus Guardian featured Carolyn Smith, manager from the supported decision-making team at the New South Wales Public Guardian, Kay Papadopoulos, senior solicitor, the New South Wales trustee and guardian, and Michael Perkins, special counsel, Nexus Law Group. I'm Tanya Katsanis.
0: You've been listening to Money Dearest, a series podcast to help people navigate decision-making through the stressful period toward the end of life. We hope this session, looking at the offices of the Public Trustee and Guardian and how they look after people's interests as a last resort, can help clarify what can happen if family disputes get in the way of the care of a loved relative when they begin to lose capacity. Tanya Katsanis was with Michael Perkins at the Nexus Law Group Kate Papadopoulos of the New South Wales Office of Trustee and Guardian and Carolyn Smith, Manager of the Supported Decision-Making Team at the New South Wales Office of Trustee and Guardian. Music was composed by Cat Olchin and Poddington Bear and two SCI-FM producers this series with the support of the Sydney Community Foundation and the Perkins Family Foundation. Thanks for being with us. I'm Roderick Chambers and we hope that you have found Money Dearest to be valuable and informative. Bye for now. We'll